Welcome back to the Host Podcast, where we're here to discuss everything Westworld from HBO. I am Doug Norrie, that is... James Davis. And we're here to discuss today, episode three, The Stray, which aired on Sunday. We're here on Tuesday discussing it, so we're probably about a day behind where we usually like to post the podcast. But, you know, it's interesting with the Westworld, where we want to be able to discuss the show in detail, and then we were sort of discussing off-air where Westworld might not totally have a plot at this point. <laughs> and that can always make things difficult from a discussion standpoint. It can make it easy from an ideas perspective where we can look at the show and just have sort of all these cool ideas. But then from a straight linear plot discussion point, it becomes a little difficult. So give me some of your thoughts, um, just like baseline thoughts on The Stray. And I think we can probably at this point, go character by character maybe and discuss some things? Yeah, I think we can dive in. Well, I think it's interesting because I think actually the main character in Westworld is Westworld itself. And it's, you know, it's kind of like in Lost where we saw the main character was sort of the island. And early on, there were these little micro plots where it's like, how are they going to get water and food and whatever else? And then, you know, the character development starts to you know, the, the plot is derived from the character development, and I think that's where Westworld is headed so far. I thought The Stray was, you know, it's an episode I think that will hold up much better when people binge watch the show, you know, 10 episodes at a time, than take them one by one, because I think we did see, you know, a lot of, we're getting, we're starting to pull on the threads of a lot of the beginning of storylines, and I think Dolores, you know, if, if there is a main character outside of the park so far, uh, she's the main character and probably a logical place to begin, uh, because we see her really beginning to wrestle with her own humanity in a way that is rather unexpected. Of course, you know, the her slapping the fly was kind of the gun on the mantle, you know, a few episodes ago, and now we're up, or last episode, and now we're up to her pulling a gun out and killing another host. And so I think she's a great place to start and just to try to figure out, you know, what the heck is going on with her. Yeah, she probably is the main character, though it is, I would say it's a little bit close at this point with her and Bernard, only because they just give some more backstory on Bernard. But I mean, that's just a, that's really a micro decision about who the main character is. Westworld does the classic sci-fi just must thing where they just have to mention Alice in Wonderland at some point. Like every (laughs) sci-fi, every sci-fi sort of like, fantasy future thing just I must be like contractually obligated within the sci-fi community to just have some kind of reference to Alice in Wonderland so Bernard hands her the book and makes her just just this one's so over just makes her read a, a couple of lines from I mean I what I think is just a totally terrible book but um the what did you make of him what, okay, why did they sort of jam that in? You think the Alice in Wonderland thing, besides maybe some obvious pieces, why do you think that they made it a point to just hand her the book and say this is maybe where your arc is going to go? Well, I think especially when they handed her the book too, it's like one of those things where if you just Google Alice in Wonderland, it's just exactly how she dresses as well. So mm-hmm. it's like she's Alice from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> right. So I think that's where it's kind of going. And, you know, not really a lot to figure out from that perspective. I mean, the uh, to do a critical interpretation of what that's going to mean for her character. I mean, it's Alice is kind of the stranger in a strange land thing where everything is foreign. You know, she's constantly disoriented. Everything is a little bit surreal. And obviously for Westworld... It didn't used to be surreal when they were simply hosts going through their daily scripts uh, and not improvising quite as much. But I think 
they're kind of as they're waking up to their own consciousness in this extremely bizarre world and having flashbacks to these extremely horrific times um, that def- certainly lends a different nightmarish quality to their life that you know was always the kind of tension in Alice in Wonderland the difference between the the joyful little like the goofy rabbits with the big clocks and the semi-horrifying cats who blow smoke and are really weird <laughs> so. so you mentioned the gun piece with her I want to actually ask your opinion on this scene so they show the there's the scene where she's reaching she's waking up for a morning you know the idea being the idea in Westworld being every kind of day resets the hosts to mm-hmm. back to you know back to their starting points whatever their daily starting points are her daily starting point obviously is waking up in bed and then going through her morning routine sometimes with the father involved and this one includes her reaching into the dresser and finding the gun that she had sort of uncovered in the episode before in the ground whoever planted the gun we're not sure but she finds the gun. So, you know, and they have a scene where she has the gun, then the gun's not there, obviously. Do mm-hmm. you think that is a glitch in her programming or we're seeing a couple of different, we're seeing sort of multiple days. Like, So this plot is not linear. For a lot of the characters, each day starts a new sort of, you know, for the let's say for the for the guests, each day starts a new thing where they're not, they're going to be different, different characters each day. But for the hosts... Because we're seeing, you know, the same thing play out, are we really looking at multiple days for her? Um, where, you know, one day she has the gun, then the gun is not there. Presumably in the in-between is the time where she buried the gun in the hay because she's learned enough over the course of many days that this is where the gun needs to be when I need it, which is in the hay when I fall down. Well, I can't quite figure out what they're trying to do as they play with time for Westworld because... On one hand, it seemed actually pretty clear to me by the end of the episode that that was two distinct days where, you know, she was there, things kind of glitch out, and she's like, you know, kind of rewriting things so that she won't wake up and find the gun in the drawer where she doesn't need it, but put it in the hay where she does. But it's kind of weird because I can't, you know, with Dolores in particular, it seems as though Westworld would operate on some sort of, say, two-week or or one-month-long arc. You know, I think two weeks is the time they've kind of alluded to as a session in the past but she wakes up and goes into town and her like little canned condensed milk or whatever rolls off her horse every day which is very weird to me like it would make much more sense to me if that happened once at the beginning of a two-week session and then her stories could could play out from there although you know maybe that's a continuity problem maybe that's just a a thing that she does simply every day and people don't notice because she's kind of like throwing that thread out there some characters throw their thread out there every single day for the same thing and some don't but yeah I, so I, I can't quite exactly figure out how, how they're playing with time with her but yeah I would suspect that for her as she's kind of it's like in a Groundhog's Day sort of theme where now that she knows where things are headed she can step to avoid the puddle sort of thing and, and we'll see her continue to do that more and more and where she goes to Teddy and she says like we got to get out of here you know um, uh-huh. that I think is the we're continuing to see the, the shift where there is going to be a breaking point at some point and we're not sure what that's going to be. Yeah, I think they use that milk can not because it makes total sense, but as just sort of you're going to need to be grounded in that in the regular for her so that you can know when she totally deviates. And I think they're just using those things over and over again. It could be because, you know, most days Teddy's the one that picks it up. And then one day it's, you know, another guest that picks it up and yeah. now she's off and now she's off doing whatever she does. Because if there's nothing for her, then it just makes sense for her to just reset, right? Um, and then the day that that guest does pick it up and they're off on some kind of adventure together and they fall in love or whatever, then it makes sense. But I think it's more for the viewer to see that, like, 
so that you know when she goes off script. And that's really, I think, what they're looking yeah, for. Yeah, that, and that makes sense. And also, just it's cheaper. You don't have to keep producing new B-roll when you can just show the same <laughs> clip every day. Hey, someone cue up the, the cam rolling again. We need the cam Where's rolling. The, you have the cam rolling clip? Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, I think we're actually grounded in time by the guest, William, um, because for him, it's very clearly it's one day, then another day, then another day. Like, they're not going to be there for six months, so we kind of are grounded in time through him and when we see him I think we know that we're existing in the same time but playing with time is really tricky too mm-hmm. and I you know who knows how well they're going to wind up doing it in the long run but you know so far so reasonably good but another I think the even more interesting question is this voice that Dolores hears right so Dolores is down we know that she couldn't even pull the trigger to shoot doing like target practice with Teddy right so something in her is is distinctly programmed to be non-violent um, but when she's sitting there and she pulls out the gun on her would-be rapist and there's a voice in her mind that says, kill him. Uh, that voice is? I personally think this goes back to, um, well, it's, it's either one of two people for me. It's either the man in black, and this goes back to the, reprogr- the reprogramming idea we talked about mm. last time where he has taken her into, the, into that barn, not to rape her, but to... To reprogram her and to make her sort of deviate along her. Right, because he pulls his knife out, right? Like his knife could be used for. Well, we've already. And we've seen later in the episode where these knives are really useful in dealing with hosts because they are able to. You're able to just get inside the host in one way or the other. Um, So it could be him or it could just be Bernard. And I think that they want you to. I, I suspect with these conversations with that they continue, that Bernard and Dolores keep having that they want you to wonder about, this is going to be the, the other plot thing is going to be motives, right? What are everyone's motives? Are they good or bad? And I think you're going to want to, the show's going to want you to wonder back and forth between who's the good guy, just let's just put a good, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Is Bernard a good guy or is he a bad guy? There's some good pieces, there's some not so maybe nice pieces, maybe they're all good and they just have different motives, but I think it's between those two guys and if I were to flip a coin, I would say man in black, but I could be convinced the other way. Well, so I think it's a three-sided die to continue with our D&D sort of related theme and I actually think the character's motivations also kind of remind me of a Dungeons and Dragons or a LARP thing where, you know, in the D&D character scale, there's not just good, evil, and neutral. There's also chaotic or orderly. And so, you know, like an orderly good guy is kind of like the sheriff, but a chaotic good guy, uh, or like, you know, maybe evil is a better thing. So like orderly good might be like Sauron from, or orderly evil might be like Sauron from Lord of the Rings, and chaotic evil is like the Joker, you know. And I think we're starting to see those archetypes play out in Westworld as well. Um, I do think that the the other option for the voice, I think, is Arnold, right? I mean, they talk mm-hmm. about specifically how hosts are hearing these voices inside, and they're even having conversations with this off-screen character called Arnold that, you know, Ford would go on to reveal was his business partner early on, and actually, you know, this brilliant programmer who uh, was kind of flying too close to the sun on let's, let's create real human beings. Uh, Ford also tips his hand in this episode and says, you know, the goal is not, these are not, you're not human. You're never going to run away and go do this thing with Dolores. That's not your role. Your role is to entertain the guests sort of thing. And then we see Bernard kind of look at that and start to refill the shoes of the old Arnold, right? So while Bernard probably would program Dolores or be happy to hear Dolores was doing something like that, I really wonder if since she is such an old host, if that's Arnold, you know, continuing to come back from the grave and, and speak through her. Well, the old, the old, oh, I had a business partner and it mysteriously disappeared piece is, is like, could be very, very cheesy in, if not handled correctly, because it's one of these things like, 
it, it seems to me totally unrealistic that like no one's ever heard of this guy and he was the original creator and i know well especially if if the if the story begins around our time which is kind of what we're led to believe based on their technology that this is like 30 years from now basically right and they say there's no wikipedia entry on him right exactly and they say like oh you know the the board did a good job they were happy to write him out of the history books (laughs) scrubbing him and i'm just like that's just not really possible like it's just like such a huge endeavor right exactly like this guy started the biggest company in the entire world and it's like what we've never even heard of this guy is I mean like that I found to just be convenient and just completely unrealistic if it was I can't three, say I disagreed if, if it was 300 <laughs> years later maybe but thir- a mere 30 years later that like these guys were all alive during this time and they didn't know about it strikes me as just totally, totally well there's obviously there's a lot of people in the company who have that kind of continuity as well but but yeah I do think the Arnold character regardless of that part was weird and I also don't get what the point is of saying that nobody remembers him um, it's, it's so it's, the, it's so that you as the viewer don't question is like well, well, who's Arnold it's like so we can learn alongside yeah, they're Bernard trying to show this guy. Exactly. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Like, we're just trying to learn about this in, in the same way Bernard's learning about it. Yeah, except, yeah. except that if you just look, if you just think for two seconds about it, it makes zero, zero sense. <laughs> but anyway, that well, I, I can. Sense. So let's, let's forgive it as a literary device for now and talk about the actual ramifications in the show because even if Bernard already knew who he was, to your point, uh, it would still be interesting that, you know, his, his conception, and this is actually something you hear in child development circles as well, which is, you know, the voice of the parent becomes the inner voice of the child later on, right? And that when you hear people, for instance, talking to their own kids, in many cases, a surprising number of cases, what they're actually doing is just channeling the exact same things their parents said to them, right? Now, of course, human beings are programs that have been written via billion years of evolution. And we're quite good at, at doing human being things and programming human beings is very, very tough. Um, so in a case like this, it would make sense that Arnold, some programmer from 30 years past, was attempting to program something similar and even says like he was hoping that his internal monologue would then inform the host sort of machine learning as they would become more human and now we're seeing these glitches the Wayne character is saying Arnold are you like that Arnold you know all that kind of stuff and so I suspect that yeah it was Arnold whispering in, in Dolores's ear there and I think it's actually a broader commentary from the show on the nature of immorta- immortality in the technological age you know if heaven or whatever you want to call it isn't you know a place off in the sky with clouds what if it is just you know becoming the morality of the next race of beings right if they're actually hearing his voice like no i know we told you never to kill anyone but you can kill this guy go ahead you know um so i think that actually while i didn't even capture how silly that was in the moment the conditions for watching the show were very absurd last night which we can get to maybe but um i i do think that where the, his his arc or his aspect of the story is a very very solid one. Yeah, and they and they do the they do another just classic. Um, this is more of a television thing. It's like you know I, I mentioned it before he dies he disappears mysteriously or he dies mysteriously, and they say you know how and he's like well kind of don't worry about it you know <laughs> like even though a realistic conversation would just I've revealed all you didn't the, hear about that <laughs> I've revealed all this other information to you why would I not just continue to reveal the rest of it like I why just tell you part of it if I'm not going to tell you all of it except that it makes for quote unquote good television more suspense yeah, so time. so the question about Arnold you're is, not ready to hear that yet <laughs> exactly. you're like wait. Wait a second, though. What if I'm you actually, die? I'm actually talking to the viewer, not you, really you. <laughs> like, it's, it's not really you, Bernard. I'm actually talking to all the people watching it out there. But um, so they question about whether what happens to Arnold, right? So is it? I guess maybe they want you to think he commits suicide in the park, but I don't. We don't really probably believe that to be the case. 
I would suspect that Arnold exists somewhere out there in Westworld. Do you think he is actually out there in Westworld living? Or is it a situation where maybe he's uploaded his consciousness to a host or then like he's and now he is actually immortal where he has figured out, you know, maybe the way to immortality. And this is an AI question as well is maybe that you can you can if you upload your consciousness to sort of an immortal being like a machine or something like that, that's just not going to suffer like the problems of the flesh. Is that a situation you can see Arnold is now? somewhere out there like not necessarily that he's the man in black's consciousness uploaded or something like that but is he he's clearly not dead i don't think what do you think has become him well i think that i think he is dead physically likely um but i do think that you know kind of planting these sleeper programs that are coming online now um i think you know a theory i read online on a thrillist.com just to cite them was that the man in black said was trying was telling Dolores start at the beginning like that might be a cue to go tap into those early early programs that Arnold wrote early on uh, potentially that this man in black is somehow related to Arnold one reason the man in black maybe might be able to do whatever he wants is maybe he does have information on that Arnold thing and you know that he's part of the cover-up or you know agreed to be silent for lifelong going to the park and doing whatever we want but maybe he does have you know some kind of ingrained loyalty to him so i think that was a that's a salient point that he seems to have potentially something to do with this arnold uh conspiracy of helping the host bootstrap consciousness um but yeah it's it's unclear right now and i think probably purposefully so they want you to be confused i think we talked about this a second ago but they want you to sort of now sort of get confused about character motivations we see ford where they clearly do a slightly different thing with his character. The first couple of episodes are sort of like fatherly guide. Um, I'll hold your hand through this process. I'll encourage you when you need to be encouraged, but I'm sort of the all-knowing-ish kind of guy and I have my own plan. Here they take a totally different turn with him where they make him, I wouldn't call it do bad things, but they clearly make him not be as nice. He kind of, um, he gets on the one technician for covering up the host and makes it say, this guy's not real. You know, don't think of him as real. And take, makes it basically takes off the clothing, cuts him purposefully, yeah. make him bleed to show this tech maybe to not have uh, emotion, don't get emotionally attached. Don't get emotionally attached. Then takes Bernard back into the office and gives these cryptic things. I think this episode was sort of meant to say, to make you maybe just not be confused, but to not show Ford as like this all-knowing nice guy that we've maybe seen before, that everyone's gonna be acting. Right, the lovable him. old man. Yeah. What did you see? How they, What did you think about how they treated his character? This one with Ford, I think one of the main tensions at play in his character development is this question of is he going to be on the side? Like one of the, the burgeoning sides are, you know, there's the side that is trying to work towards helping the host to be more human, and then the side that really wants the host to stay robots and you know maintain some aspect of their robotic nature and earlier in the season we had seen Ford be more on the other side where he's actually you know fraternizing with the hosts down in that weird creepy watery room where <laughs> they keep them for some reason right. um, and then in this episode he seems to go really far in the other way and I'm not sure you know that that may be something going on you know in his personal life or maybe he vacillates and maybe this is a lifelong struggle he's sort of had but where it seemed early on like he was really pushing against the goals of the corporation and pushing things in a more human direction. He seems to really, really actively pushing in the other direction now. I kind of wonder if some of that might also be for show, like if he's as you know clever as a fox in there and kind of 
you know, really going overtly in the other direction because he didn't seem to believe any of the stuff that he said in this episode in the previous episodes. Um, in fact, he and Bernard kind of seemed to be allies before then. And also his, you know, revealing additional things to Bernard kind of suggests that, you know, what, what are his motivations in now revealing additional information to Bernard? Is it because he sees Bernard as an ally or he's trying to scare him? I sense more that he sees Bernard as an ally, but I'm not, not totally sure yet. Well, I think I had assumed that early on that Ford's general goal was to sort of do this bring enlightenment. And we had talked about it last time with bring enlightenment through religion. And I think that I thought it was toward the hosts. But I'm wondering now if he's actually, his motivation is more toward the guest side where he wants to bring guests along to have Westworld be more of like a religious experience than it is just like this hedonistic experience. And I think I had thought about that grounded in the way in how he treats Dolores and all these other hosts, but I'm wondering if now the hosts are just a means to his other end, which is to have human beings be better people, possibly. And the way you do that is to, you have the hosts be, be just be part of the experience rather than the ones that are actually getting enlightenment, them, enlightenment, enlightenment themselves. So I think I'm wondering, because I, th- I think at times I've been I've been personally grounded in what's going to happen to the host, what's going to happen to the host. And where maybe his thing is, well, really, no, what's going to happen with the guests? Like, how do we make this more of a, just a moral experience for these people rather than, and we just use the host as like a means to that end? Well, I don't know, because when he's talking to Teddy and he says, you know, he specifically says to her that he exists merely to lure the guests out and kill the gunslinger and have their way with his girl. Like, that doesn't suggest to me that he's helping humanity to be better or something i think maybe he i think he has a very cynical view of humanity and and in fact westworld is really designed and like if you think about from a a game design perspective for westworld it's designed in a very cynical way where you know it's it's kind of the sandbox arena where you can do whatever you want but they kind of know that what you really want to do there is go and hurt people and get your way with people and well maybe he used maybe he thought that for a long time and he's coming around that up because and this is why he's changing Teddy's storyline now like he's chosen to change he's saying I'm going to change Teddy's storyline now because the thing that you used to be able the thing I used to want you to do was this but now because Ford these couldn't always have been his motivations but now he's maybe coming around on it like and he's sort of changing Westworld because he thinks oh man, I just, I kind of like screwed this up maybe. And maybe this is what we should actually be doing instead of, because he, you know, by shooting down that Red River Odyssey, that is this crazy bloodbath, totally nutso thing in favor of his mystery thing. Um, is that, I, I guess I thought it was more geared toward the host, but I'm just thinking it's just more geared toward the guest. Yeah, I think point. in some ways he's just continue, you know, continues to be fairly unpredictable. I mean, he seems to, the one thing that, that we've seen continuously from him is that he just enjoys playing God. He likes referring to himself mm-hmm. as the father and that, you know, uh, and taking on this godlike role. He does godlike things like cut that host's face and say they only feel what we want them to feel and really likes to emphasize how in charge he is. And I think for him, we could also see some erratic behavior coming because when this Arnold character is starting to creep up from the past, like we're seeing uh, he, him feeling like he's losing some of that control and that could be extremely maddening to him especially if early on there was like a power play between him and Arnold where the managers or the board or whoever had to um you know he and he also really waxes nostalgic about those old days where they were playing God and creating this life and all that stuff and so if he sees Arnold as a threat again like that could really be rankling him and you know making him want to take extreme measures to wrest control back we also get the the a little bit of history on Bernard with his son uh, dying at a young age. That's you know 
clearly makes a difference for him and his emotional state and maybe what his motivations are here. Um, we get a little sense of, you know, he gets, he has a conversation with his wife and it's mostly just to give us the idea of how much in pain he is at this point without, without his son. How do you think that plays a part in just in maybe in just Bernard's overarching just plot line and Ford definitely thinks it's an issue or they want us to think it's an issue because he says, make sure that doesn't affect you or this could be affecting the way you work. I know what happened with your son, mm-hmm. but just to be clear, Let's kind of like make sure that doesn't affect what you're doing here. What do you think that that to me seems sort of in your face, but I don't know what you thought of that, uh, that line. Well, I think it was taken. I, I think the way we're meant to interpret this situation here is that Bernard is kind of transferring the role he had with his son to his new role with Dolores. And I think there's a lot of attractive things about the host to Bernard. I mean, first of all, like when you're a parent, uh, you as much as you would hope to program your own kids in some ways, I think any honest parent would acknowledge that sometimes you just feel like you just really want to tell them exactly what to do and be able to tell them to shut down or analysis. Why did you ask me that? Right. Um, and the, the other really attractive thing about the host is that they can't die. Right. So Bernard in this extremely helpless and humbling moment, and he talks about never being able to forgive it, never being able to walk away from it. And now he's in this situation where he can get a second chance with Dolores and and the other hosts. And I think that that's a really kind of a, a really big insight into humanity and um, and a very logical feeling to have, right? Like people who have lost a son or lost a child, a lot of research has been done and saying that that's basically the most devastating thing that can happen to a person, including getting becoming a paraplegic and <laughs> like losing their spouse and a bunch of other things. Um, so I think there's that there's that at play, and then I think that you know there's also this inner programmer piece of Bernard that wants to figure out if he can do it right. Like this has been you know a, a challenge that people have tried to overcome since basically computers were made, which is the, answering the question: Could we make a computer that is a human being? And now Ford actually talks about, which I thought was kind of weird, that the robots were able to pass the Turing test very early on in their in their research, and. I found that to be odd because passing the Turing test, like so for listeners who are unaware, basically what that means is that you can create a robot who, you know, is indistinguishable from a human being in all facets. And even still, we see that the hosts aren't that like they even say like, oh, we just added these reveries so that you can't tell. And so it's like, well, did they use did they with 30 years old tech? Could they pass? Uh, the Turing test or couldn't they? Um, And because none of that lines up with Moore's law either, which is that the computing power and the sophistication of the technology would be basically doubling every 18 months. So I'm not really sure from a technological perspective how much continuity there is there. But but yes, I do think that that for Bernard, it's this combination of actually feeling an emotional attachment to the host as kind of people and Dolores in particular, and also just the challenge as a programmer uh, and geeking out and trying to see if he can be the first one to accomplish it. But the Turing test, though, is was strictly if you could if you could pass a test like a, like an online like just sort of like back and forth data test. Like it wasn't that you could actually appear to be human. It was just that you could communicate with uh, with with an sentient being like sort of online and you could they could answer all your questions to confuse you it wouldn't be like you weren't having a face-to-face test with them yeah well i think it's i think that's right i think it's the the machine's ability to kind of show intelligent behavior um equivalent to or indistinguishable from a human and i think that maybe maybe i'm picking nits here but you can distinguish the host from human beings, and I mean they can do a lot of stuff, but they're not. But only operating. in the physical sense. Only like no, you know. no, and, and in the in the things they say too, because they repeat themselves, or they get stuck in loops, or they, mm-hmm. you know, like those stupid woodcutter guys who are out there, and the axe is sitting on the log, and none of them 
are able to pick up the axe and simply go chop wood because they're not programmed to do it. Like right. that's not human beings wouldn't stay in a in a circle for six weeks. And maybe you know maybe the rigor or you know for all practical purposes, if we saw a so-called host walking down the street as they are here, we wouldn't know the difference between them and a and a human unless we really press the issue. So because they make it a point to show you that to show you back in the past and how they were teaching the dance and they were super. You know, they were super choppy in their dance moves and they just couldn't, they weren't picking up that. Whereas like their brain capacity might've been able to answer all the questions to pass those tests, but like they were just the, the physical movements were the problem. I want to go um, into this final thing where you mentioned about the ax cutter, the, uh, the wood cutter guys, and, right. which yeah. I thought was a great scene, by the way, about how those guys, you don't know what those guys are doing until yeah. they figure out that they, they're just never going to be able to chop yeah. the wood. And they're just going to sit there wondering when they're going to cook the rabbit forever. I thought that was actually a really, really and great they're, scene. They're like, they've been there for two days solid, yeah. which is at odds with how terrible I thought the Elsie and Ashley characters, which is their name. Elsie's the, the designer, and Ashley is the security guy. And their mission, or you know, their quest—not in quest, that's the wrong word. Their mission to go find the stray. I found the idea of them find, going and finding the stray interesting. Every single piece of dialogue between those two was nails on a chalkboard to me. You didn't like the combination of bad dialogue and bad acting. That wasn't <laughs> what they do it for you. <laughs> bad dialogue. These terrible one-liners that they're shooting at off of each other. It makes almost no sense to me that they would like. There's no realistic situation where you go off with somebody and you're doing a job, and all you want to do is just be at, at odds with them the entire time. Like that's just not what a human would do. Even if you dislike the person, you'd probably be like, "I'm gonna grin and bear it. I'm just gonna get out there. We'll find the straight." Yeah, awkward silence. Much more likely than. <laughs> We'll get and we'll get home for dinner. This one is like, oh, your programming's bad. Wow, you're a you're a meathead douchebag. You know, like that just wants to shoot everybody. Maybe it was your bad code. <laughs> exactly. Like that thing was so stupid. I thought that and it didn't like ruin the episode for me. But man, it came close. I get really too caught up on little things like that sometimes where I just can't see past it. Anyway, beyond that piece where they just it was just again nails on chalkboard. Them going and finding the stray. He's got the sort of the Orion thing carved into his uh, into his woodwork, and then they find him. Mm. And he also just one more thing that I thought was really terrible about this was that the old "there's no time for backup, I'm just gonna do it" thing, which always leads to a problem. So it's like, oh, we'll just have the backup come later and get the guys like, nah, I'm gonna do it now. Which is basically you can then just make bet your whole entire life savings on that something's bad is gonna happen right after you make that decision, and. The stray climbs out. What did you think about the stray's reaction to, like, what did you think of that scene from the time where he starts to chop his head off to the time where he climbs out? Yeah, I mean, obviously, what we're getting at here is this stray, so called, has actually reached the point where he's essentially trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a, it's a much more dark version of the same thing we're seeing through. You know, the other host, the Madam in the Brothel, or Dolores's character, where they're having these flashbacks and it's very difficult for them, but they're kind of keeping it together, right? And the stray seems to be the one who's finally flipped and finally got off the off the ledge there. And maybe he's even tried to kill himself in the past and it's not worked, you know, like that's a possibility too. And we're not exactly sure. He doesn't seem to be a main character by any stretch of the, of the imagination, but the fact that he's off you know, trying to run away for starters, then he gets caught, and then they're trying to saw his head off, which I thought was you know, we only need his head. I, my question on the only need his head is, this would be equivalent to, because I think what they're trying to say is this is where all the essential programming is, right? But if all the essential programming is his head, can it just be backed up in a thing 
like it's it seems to reason that the actual expensive thing they would need is the body right because that's what takes all the materials and all like the artistry right and if they only need the head we'll just use the use the backup on the google drive that they share around the offices you know what i mean like upload it to the cloud (laughs) that's what i'm saying like let's have you crazy we're gonna go walk through the desert looking for this thing (laughs) if if the thing is not the really expensive machine that's out there so yeah i didn't really uh didn't really vibe with that but i think the question of I mean, the tension in the moment of, is the host going to kill her? Or is he, you know, I think everyone thought the host was going to kill her. Um, the only reason I didn't think that was going to happen is because it's only episode three. And, like, if so, if this is episode 11, I would have thought she was definitely dead. But that would be, like, a great George R.R. R. Martin-esque, like, uh, you know, kill off a, a semi-main character early on, right? HBO oh, no, I don't mean HBO that. is not shy about that. I don't mean because of the, the character, not because of the character point of view. Because of, like, I, oh, think, I, some, I think some people's general question Putting is, the cart well, before the horse. are yeah. they going to eventually turn on everybody? And to have them turn on the humans in episode three just seemed too early. That was the only reason I didn't think it was going to happen. That's a good point. I, I think... Maybe I'm I'm too much of a you know a doe-eyed dupe to be sitting there and actually be worried because <laughs> I was like oh my god he's gonna kill her but he, I think him killing himself is arguably more interesting because mm-hmm. I don't think he's successful either by the way I think that you know them only needing the head or whatever again doesn't really make much sense and they can probably get in there and I'm sure just some simple rock smashing isn't gonna knock that system offline but um yeah it's certainly. And the other piece about Orion, like, I don't, did you make any symbolism out of them? I don't know enough about the celestial stuff. To getting like... extremely bad at carving all of a sudden and then carving Orion into things. Like... Well, he was clearly wasn't extremely bad at carving. He carved like a super realistic looking But he caught the, the problem that they had was why'd you program him? You know, and again, in the witty one liner thing, you programmed him to be so bad at wood carving. And she's like, we didn't actually. She looks at the really good bear mm-hmm. and then she has a juxtaposition of the crappy thing next to it. And so I, I think that was to suggest that, okay, well, something's not going quite right here. Um, I mean, Orion is uh, is the hunter, right? So, you know, perhaps there's some hunting symbology, symbolism going on there, but I don't really know. It's the symbiology behind that. Symbology, symbology is a word. I know there's a famous Boondock Saints thing where the guy makes fun of it, but <laughs> symbology, a symbolism. Yeah, William Defoe actually would have been a good good character for this show with his overacting, but um, yeah. So I, I'm not really sure where that's headed, but the hosts. Being able to kill themselves has some very grisly and kind of. And it would be awfully convenient if all the stuff was just in their head, and he was able to take it out of his head by bashing it with a rock. Again, it would be it would be a slip up in technological advancements to have that be the case. Well, because bullets can go through it, right? right, (laughs) Like these guys get shot through the head, full explosion. (laughs) Right. So I think that would be a little too convenient if he was able to just wipe out his whole memory and they weren't able to learn. But I think that's where we're going. Is you know, at some point, is this guy going to go from killing himself to go and killing and just taking a stab at a human? being and i think that's where they want us to think this is starting to head we only get a few minutes of a couple other characters william and logan who don't really do much except for where dolores comes in and presents herself to them at the end and then we get a little bit of a man in black which we discussed before which is mostly through flashbacks is there anything we need to just dive in on any of those characters or anything new we learn from them from this episode well yes actually i do think the william and logan plot line has the potential to be kind of like a interesting play on time here because so one theory I read online was that William is the man in black but just earlier on in time and so like he comes to the park and he is this guy who you know really you know wants to be the white hat thing he gets involved Dolores obviously means something to him right he's got he's not having sex with any of the prostitutes not doing anything like that and we have Dolores literally falling into his lap at the end of the episode and we see like these kind of like schisms in time with Dolores glitching and first it's the man in black, first it's some other 
uh, some other guest. And I thought that was a really interesting theory because... Um, Wait, so real quick. Is the theory that... William not, is the man in black. And the, the, right, they're not all in the same timeline yes, here? Yeah. yeah. But like, the, the, the William and Logan thing is from the very, very early days of mm-hmm. Westworld when... Um, and, and the one thing that this article pointed out online, and I wish I could remember where I saw this, it might have been in that Thrillist article too, was saying that when we first see William get on the thing, that there's an old Westworld logo, and that mm. the only time we've seen an older Westworld logo is when these shots of William and Logan. So I thought that was fairly persuasive, and I also think that it's uh, it kind of syncs up with the storyline because, like, let's go back to the beginning, you know, the yep. Man in Black says to him. And also, like, it would make more sense if, you know, William is there and he's starting to... Um, and also Teddy plays a different role than in the scenes we see with William. Like, he's just kind of a different-ish character. Hmm. Um, but it would make sense that William gets there and he's like, oh, this is a place where I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be this hero. I'm going to be this good guy. And then realizes that's not how this is going to play out and kind of goes insane. Well, in the old every single week, I'm going to be totally convinced of a theory. Um, I'm now totally convinced that that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that is um, because, and this will be one of those things where it's when you you go back and you're watching Westworld for the second time that you'll pick up on exactly. even more of this stuff that if this ended up being the case, and actually this seems like a totally logical thing, especially if they're willing to play with time a little bit, where we'll go back and, and watch it again and say, oh man, we should have seen this coming from the first time they stepped yeah. off the train or something like that. I'm totally with that. And I think that's a great place for us to end, buddy. You, yeah, man. you wowed me with a theory. You yeah. wowed me with someone else's theory. Really <laughs> yeah, anything I can do to wow you with other people's theories, my man. Thanks for listening. Make sure to rate us on iTunes. Thehostpodcast.com is the website. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week after episode four. Thank you.